Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bay Presbyterian Church. If you can't hear that, just uh, tune in. We'll get the level down there a little bit because other family that normally is close by cannot be. So Kathy and uh, my mother-in-law are watching from their home at 140 Clarendon Circle in Danville, Virginia. I want to give my love to you both. wish you a happy Mother's Day. And I ask you to give your attention to God's Word. It's found in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is a passage I had planned to preach months ago. I know that we're all aware of what current events are, but as I say, as I was reflecting on the schedule some months ago and planning out what I was going to preach, I'd settled on this passage long before anything unfolded that has this past week. So please be aware of that. As we together look to the Lord and understand His love for us, So let's read together God's holy word. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. And so may God bless this, the reading of his word, as we give him praise for it. Amen. And so it seems there's nothing like a baby. As I was talking with James Eakard this morning about the passing of his son Jimmy, he was telling me about how much they've enjoyed looking at pictures of our grandson Ethan on Facebook. He said, he just looks like the sweetest child with the shiniest bright eye. I said, and everything you see in the picture is true. Now that's my objective opinion. We think of all of our children, how precious they are. Is there anything that brings more delight? I don't know how many times I've had parents apologize to me after a worship service saying, I'm sorry, our our baby made so much noise. And I've told them, don't apologize. In my ears, that's some of the most wonderful sounds in the world. As I think about signs of life and indicators that life continues. And as we turn here to the book of Exodus, of course, we're mindful that God Almighty has preserved and protected His people down through the long ages, even though there has been every opposition imaginable brought against us. From the very time that mankind sinned and brought the consequences of His disobedience upon Him and upon the rest of the world, 
there has been this ongoing spiritual conflict, this war, this enmity that is between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of Satan or those who follow him. That's the wording of Genesis chapter 3. And in Exodus, we find that God's people, of course, are enslaved and captive in the land of Egypt. They are there because in time, in, in times past, they went there because of a great famine in the days of Joseph. And what initially was a great blessing to God's people, of course, became a great burden because there finally came a time when a Pharaoh ascended the throne who did not know of Joseph nor anything about him. And so here was all this grand population that suddenly turned out to be a great source of labor. And those people became an enslaved people. No longer having a position of privilege, they became slaves to do Pharaoh's bidding. And a great cry began to rise up from Egypt. And God heard their cry. And so he provides for them a deliverer. We also, of course, read in this story with an understanding that we too are enslaved in this world that offers so many benefits we consider the great beauty of it, for one thing. Here in southwest Florida, when you look out across this lake, or we can watch the sun set over the Gulf of Mexico and give thanks for God's beautiful handiwork, and yet we find ourselves encumbered in a world that is sinful and is experiencing the consequences of sin. That's why people are protesting outside of churches and Supreme Court justices' homes today, because there is this sin nature working itself out. That's why we're killing each other. That's why we're stealing from each other. That's why there's violence in the land because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And there is much iniquity resulting. And so those who would advocate for freedom from the things of God are actually advocating for bondage, slavery. It's as if they would rather have the chains of slavery than the freedom that is offered to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust today that we realize the enslavement from which we have been liberated, that we yet would be enslaved to the desires of the flesh and to the ways of the world, that we would be under the devil's design rather than being led by God in the light of his word. We too know what liberation is. We know what it is to be free from bondage if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. He, after all, has come to destroy the works of the devil so that in him we might be free. And so a deliverer comes. And he comes in the most ordinary of ways because we understand that's the way that God works. Now, he moves in mysterious ways as we think of the hymn writer who put it so wonderfully in that hymn, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform, but yet in extraordinarily ordinary now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife the Levite woman. We know their names are Amram and Jochebed. There's nothing extraordinary about that whatsoever. That's the way that life unfolds. Men and women come together, they marry, they have children. And yet through this ordinary act, God accomplishes an extraordinary purpose. And so our first lesson from this, among many others that we could derive, is at least this one, that God providentially protects and provides for his chosen instrument of deliverance. Now, in that point is this. He also provides for and protects his people. 
but in particular his chosen instrument of deliverance because the birth of Moses points us to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Moses is an imperfect foreshadowing of the coming of Christ. Moses is a sinner in need of God's grace and redemption, just like all of us. The Lord Jesus, when he comes, is not in need of salvation because he did no wrong. He was conceived sinlessly and he lived a sinless life. So that's why I say Moses is an imperfect pattern of what would come. But he is a pattern nevertheless and a demonstration of how that God provides miraculously, even as he did for the Lord Jesus, so that throughout his life, Jesus was preserved and protected until that moment when his life would be taken from him, or rather when he laid down his life for us. And you see, in that, we can have confidence in our own security. To know that inasmuch as God provides for the deliverer, he will provide for those who are being delivered. As John Durham has pointed out, Moses is spared by being cast onto the very Nile that was to drown him, is treated with maternal kindness by the daughter of the very king who had condemned him and to whose descendants he would become a nemesis, and is assigned as a responsibility with pay to the one woman in all the world who most wanted the best for him, his own mother. You see, the name of the Lord is not mentioned in these verses, but it doesn't need to be. His fingerprints are all over it. We see God providentially superintending and providing so that everything will happen in just the right way. And as God worked then, he continues to work now. That even though our lives may seem to be like a jumbled thread of a mess right now, maybe you're wondering, well, that might be true of Moses, but my life makes no sense at all. So, makes no sense to you at the moment. But it does make sense because God works together for the good of all of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so, as he provides to deliver, he provides to the delivered. And we also see here that from conception and birth, God works in people to achieve his purposes. God doesn't just start working in your life at the moment of your salvation. He doesn't just come onto the scene when you trust in the Lord Jesus. He's had a purpose for you all along. And for those of us who are redeemed, we know that we are called even before the foundation of the world. That's not something just found in our Presbyterian confession. That's something that we find in Scripture. And it is a great mystery, isn't it? And yet we find that the Lord works in this way. Indeed, as Jeremiah testified, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. We see that there is not a distinction in the Bible between the unborn and those who are born. The child in the womb is a child. Do you hear me? not my purpose to be political in this moment. It is simply to proclaim to you the word of God. When John the Baptist in the womb of his mother Elizabeth discerned that Mary was in the room, in the, room the Bible says that the child leapt in his mother's womb. The word is brephos in the Greek and it is exactly the same word that is used to describe the Lord Jesus when he is later lying in a manger. The child leapt in his mother's womb. 
Please let that settle into your mind and heart. Don't be deceived. Let the one who has ears, let him hear. We read also in, uh, in the Psalms, of course, in Psalm 139, which coincides exactly with what Jeremiah said. In Psalm 139, verses uh, 13 and 14, as we think of the Lord working in the unborn and the born, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Notice that. You knitted me together. Not my pre-existent self, not mere cells or tissues, but you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And so we understand this, that God is at work in his children. Yes, from the moment of conception, even from eternity past, through birth and through the course of our life. We also know that as God does this, he does it out of love. His intention and purpose through Moses is to deliver his people. It is an act of love that he provides this child. It is an act of love that he protects and preserves this child, even though the order had been issued that all Hebrew children were to be slain. That was something that, uh, that Pharaoh had ordered, that this order was ruthlessly carried out. And uh, those male children in particular were to be killed, but Moses was preserved. We read about those heroes who were the, the Hebrew midwives who refused to carry out Hebrew uh, or, or Pharaoh's orders. So we affirm the sanctity of human life. But we also affirm that God's salvation is something glorious. Even a basket. Now I've entitled this a real basket case. Somebody said that's a fit title for some of my preaching. But I want you to notice that how a simple basket points us to God as our true deliverer. As uh, Phil Riken has pointed out, the Bible calls attention to God's saving work by calling the basket literally an ark. The only other place the Bible uses this Hebrew term is in the story of Noah. Both Noah and Moses passed through the deadly waters by riding in an ark, the vessel of salvation. They were baptized, as it were, in the same water in which others perished. And there's much we could say about this chapter, but we see this wondrous thing, this, this basket made of bulrushes, waterproofed, with a baby placed in it, is an image and a picture to us of the way in which uh, God delivers. It's interesting that one of the deadliest places on earth remains the Nile River because of the crocodiles that are there. When I was at home, I uh, had a little boy ask me if there were crocodiles near us down here. He was all interested in them. I said, no, I can't say that I've seen any of those in our backyard, but I did tell him this. I said, uh, you know, the Everglades is the only place on earth where alligators and crocodiles naturally dwell in the same habitat. Boy, his eyes got real big. His mother said, you didn't need to tell him. He said, now he's going to want to go there. I said, well, tell him when he wants to come, we've got an extra bedroom. She said, thanks. The Nile River was a deadly place. 
And yet as that basket floated amongst the bulrushes as Moses' sister, presumably Miriam, watches over the basket, at just the right moment, the basket and the child are retrieved. And in God's providence, not only is Moses protected even by the daughter of the one who had issued an order that he ought to have been killed, but Moses' own mother is called upon to nurse him, and she gets paid for it. You can't make this stuff up. But that little basket is a picture to us of salvation. God's going to carry us safely through. We look at all the tumult and the evil in our world. We're all preserved and protected in this ark of salvation that is Christ for us. He's going to guide you safely home. Crocodiles notwithstanding. All that is against us notwithstanding. God has a purpose to rescue us from the sinful world. And so finally, we observe this. That God uses the most unlikely people in the most unlikely places to carry out his plan. I don't know about you, but I qualify for that. I, uh, I can well remember when I was appointed to the board of Christ College in Taipei several years ago um, to oversee that work uh, school that was given to our denomination back in 1974 at our denomination's Second General Assembly. The thought struck me that several of my college professors would probably have to take medication if they realized that I was placed on the board of a college. And I said, surely the Lord has a sense of humor. But if we look back over the course of history, God qualifies the ones whom he has called. It's not that he looks for those who are qualified and determines that he can use only them. No, he looks for those people who are extraordinarily ordinary. If you look at the ones that Jesus chose as his apostles, surely one of the things that strikes us is that they were... Twelve ordinary men, as John MacArthur said. Ordinary being the operative word. Men and women together, we all are quite ordinary, perhaps unqualified in the eyes of the world. But God used that ragtag group of disciples relatively uneducated in the great scheme of things and through them turned the world upside down. And he continues to do amazing things. Moses would be raised in Pharaoh's household and would come to the place where he would count not the things of Pharaoh's household as the things to be cherished, but the fact that he was one of God's people. That would be the priority in his life. So find your identity in the Lord Jesus. Christ, who has redeemed us and who has determined to use people like you and me to do the things that he wants to achieve in his world. And it's fitting on Mother's Day. Think of this. You know, one of the earliest memories I have is of my mother reading Bible stories to me when I was young. And I remember standing beside her on a chair in the kitchen trying to learn how to cook. And I know I was more of a nuisance than I was a help. But in our condominium today, one of the most cherished possessions that we have is placed in a drawer, and it is my mother's checked apron, the one that she wore when I stood beside her. Yes, so I should know how to wash dishes better than I do. I'm sorry, honey. 
but I well remember and I will always cherish standing on that chair beside my mama and her acting like she needed me there when she didn't. And I think about the way in which the Lord works in our lives, having determined to love us. He doesn't need any of us. He has perfect fellowship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. There's an old spiritual song that begins by saying God was lonely when he created Adam and Eve. Well, without trying to insult whoever composed those words, it's simply not true. God was never lonely. He doesn't need us. But he has ordained to love us and to count us as his very own. And I rejoice in knowing that as we read in Isaiah chapter 66 to bring this to a rapid conclusion so we can celebrate the Lord's Supper. In Isaiah chapter 66, beginning with verse 13, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants he shall show his indignation against his enemies. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You see, I came to experience the love of God through both of my siblings. But there is something about the relationship of mother and child that conveys to us an aspect of the love of God that is especially precious to me. Because that's how the Lord loves me. And so, as God provided for Moses, so he provides for his children. He delights in us, having determined to have a relationship with us, so that we might be secure in him. Rejoice this day. This is a day for you to be mindful, regardless of what life may look like at the moment. To be mindful of the fact that it is the love of God that sustains. Even in our loss, even in all the tragedies that continue to unfold in life, even though all the forces of evil are arrayed against us, God will guide you safely home, vouchsafe in the ark that is the Lord Jesus Christ, our provision. Because when he saves you, he saves you to the uttermost. So today is a day for all of us to give thanks for Christ our Savior. Or perhaps to do that one thing you know you need to do. Repent and trust in Jesus. He's the only one who can carry you safely home. Imagine had someone said, well, that baby doesn't need that basket. I'm going to liberate him from that and place him in the water. Freedom and liberty come through Jesus. The love of God is made manifest through Jesus. And it is in Jesus. That God will guide you safely to that destination that is everlasting life. So may the Lord bless you in that to know Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we bow, we thank you, O Lord, for Christ Jesus our Savior. And we ask you, Father, that as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus, that we might come with discernment and understanding with rejoicing in our hearts for your provision 
made through Christ for our eternal salvation. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we come.